one of the most hurtful things I heard the first week of school was, oh, you people still exist? I thought you guys went extinct. And that like broke my heart. I was just like, what? Wow. <laughs> it was really, really hard. And so it was definitely cultural shocking mm-hmm. growing up in Arizona where non-natives and natives like grew up together and like non-natives are aware of the native community, even to the point where the public schools accommodate to native culture hmm. in classrooms. Right. And so to go to from a very, you know, more inclusive area to somewhere where I'm very, I'm definitely isolated. Yes. I'm by myself. Yes. It was definitely really hard because I mean, people question my identity. They looked mm-hmm. me up on the internet to see if I was really telling the truth. Oh, wow. And it was just, it was just so different. This is Claim of Stories, a show about professionals working in the sportswear industry and the incredible careers they've been able to claim. Welcome to the Creative State. I'm Bima, and on today's show, I was able to sit down with Tracy Jackson. She grew up on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona, where her family would travel around the Southwest to Native American art shows. She will later use this passion for telling Native stories through design to become a graphic footwear and apparel designer, collaborating on projects with Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas. With the support of a mentor and a lot of persistence, today Tracy is the lead graphic designer at Nike in Portland, Oregon, working on N7 a brand within Nike that's committed to getting youth in the Native American communities active. Prior to that, she was a cultural teacher for a Native youth program in Arizona that received an N7 grant. When Tracy was 14 years old, she was a huge fan of basketball, and she remembers how one of the basketball tournaments changed her life. It was at this tournament that she saw her first N7 logo and made it a goal to work at Nike. During our conversation, we talk about Tracy's early life on the res. Well, growing up Native, especially like living on and off the reservation, it's very different. A lot of us have the same upbringing in the neighborhood, like the neighborhood and city that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, my family was actually relocated off the reservation because Hmm. of land disputes between another tribe and the U.S. government. So our sacred lands that was my family had for centuries Mm -hmm. was taken from us forever. So we actually can't go back to that land anymore because it's not ours anymore. Oh, wow. So that's how we ended up in Flagstaff. And so my mom and my aunts grew up in Flagstaff, too, and had the same type of upbringing going back and forth between Mm -hmm. the two. It's just because there's so much of our relatives on the res. So on the weekends and summers, I spent my time out home on the res. But Mm -hmm. in school, I went to school during the week. And so with that, it was definitely living in two different worlds because It was like living in the city of Flagstaff was the first world problems. We had running water, normal house. And then you go out home to the res and we're literally living without running water, electricity. I'm hauling water for my grandparents out there. I learned how to butcher when I was a kid so we could eat, farming, things like that. I mean, it was just completely different because the problems out there were real Mm -hmm. problems, like humanitarian problems versus in the city where it was like, oh, like I want to hang out with my friends. You know, it was very like almost a superficial type of way. Those are two very different ways of living. So as a kid growing up with those two perspectives, it was kind of like rounding in a sense because like Mm. when I lived in the city, my family would be like, why are you turning on the lights? You know, that costs money. And Hmm. I'd be like, that's true. true. You know, back home, we have to use a kerosene lamp. So and then... Like even turning on the water, my family would keep us in mind saying like, don't waste anything because, you know, it costs money for Mm -hmm. that, too. So I think that was like one perspective I had was like it was living in two different worlds because I had to remember what humbled me. And Mm -hmm. also like, hey, like I can't splurge and, you know, take things for granted. So I thought that was like very interesting growing up. (laughs) So at a a very young age, you had an understanding uh, perhaps of 
these two different worlds and yeah. and how on one side of the spectrum there's a lot of abundance mm-hmm. and on the other side there's this this space where you have to be very, very, very considerate of your resources. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And that was just like perspective. I felt like I matured as like such a young age just because of those realities that I had mm-hmm. to face. Yeah. Wow. And so <laughs> You're, you're you're going back and forth. How was this time, I guess, when you were going from uh, Flagstaff to the res and you're spending time with your family? Um, what is that like? What are you doing? Um, well, it was really interesting because we have horses out home. So we would always be visiting family members. So it's about an hour and a half uh, from Flagstaff to my house on the res. Okay. And it's dirt road, so that's what takes the longest. And so once you get to the res line, it's just dirt roads. You navigate yourself. If you don't have phone service out there, you literally are on your own. Oh, the wow. closest city to the res is Flagstaff or Winslow, which mm-hmm. is an hour and a half either way. So you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> what do you do if you if you get lost? You kind of got to um, wait for someone to come along. <laughs> basically, you try to see if you can find a house, maybe in the area, <laughs> knock on someone's door. Hopefully they speak English because those people speak Navajo fluently. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty rare to find someone who's an elder out there that doesn't you know speak Navajo so it's kind of difficult (laughs) but it was really fun because like I always went out and to me it was like so it grounded me a lot so I would um where I lived on the res we had um we had horses so we always rode our horses growing up we lived we owned a mountain in a way Mm -hmm. so I would always go up into the mountain and take my sketch pad put a little (laughs) bag on and then like go sit on our well and then just draw in the middle of the canyon wow and so that probably wasn't the safest thing as a kid but But I would just go and my family would be like all right well we can't find her so she'll come back (laughs) eventually eventually. (laughs) so that's what I did (laughs) but it's that's also different than like uh going away in a neighborhood yeah. where there's like a, a lot of people in way more I think yeah. trouble and danger versus you're in nature. I just have to like watch out for snakes yes, you know those things that type of thing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so we just like and my family um, are silversmiths so they worked at home so it was like just very simple stuff like simple living just spending time with each other playing card games mm-hmm. I felt like it was we were always together doing something if it was just playing a game or just mm-hmm. talking in general wow so you had a lot of family time there. Yeah, I Very did. I'm so it. close to my family. Yeah. I miss them. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and then you, your grandparents also had a very significant influence yep. on you, right? Um, and you men, you mentioned that they were silversmiths. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit more about that and, and what you witnessed growing yeah. up? Yeah. So I was raised um, by a single parent. My mom uh, raised us alone, me and my older brother. Mm-hmm. So my dad, I never got to meet him. He left okay. before I was born, which okay. is like fine. I feel like I never missed out on anything, mm-hmm. just because, especially since we're a matriarch society. That mm-hmm. really helps too. Yeah. <laughs> but like because of that, um, my grandparents and my aunts, they all were like throughout my life, like involved with us. And I lived in my grandma's house off and on. So mm-hmm. it was home to me too. But it was amazing with my grandparents because I felt like they were, they were like my parents too. Mm-hmm. And they humbled me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like just watching them work because, I mean, they, they're self-taught silversmiths. So wow. they taught themselves how to mix jewelry, which I think is kind of <laughs> crazy. I don't even know where you start with that because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, um, okay. I don't think they had YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, no, no, definitely not. And so they literally came from the ground up. Like they mm-hmm. built themselves up, started their own business, started their own silversmithing company. Um, that turned into our family business that hmm. they became one of the most well-known like contemporary uh, silversmiths in our area. They traveled to all these art shows and it was amazing because like 
growing up, I used to watch them because they had our workbenches. We worked mm-hmm. from our house. Mm-hmm. And so I would see them make everything from scratch from sheets of silver and hmm. wire. Yeah. And they would make all these intricate designs of leaf designs that were hand stamped and like using stones from all across the world that were like very precious. And like they knew so much about materials that I I, it's like you went to school for it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of crazy, but yeah. they taught themselves. They taught themselves. Like my grandpa, my Che, that's how I say mm-hmm. uh, grandpa Navajo. But my Che, he um, he was just amazing. He took one class. They never went to high, uh, college. Mm-hmm. He went to like a community college, took one class in small business management. And that's how he learned how to do the foundation of our business. That's so, amazing. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it was just like they were so like persistent and ambitious that – to me, that's what made my me very ambitious. Mm-hmm. It's just because seeing how well they did on their own without any help, they mm-hmm. just did it. So that's what I always did was like, okay, right. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you grew up around just a culture of makers and yeah. doers that were really about making things happen. Yep. Um, even silversmith teaching yeah. yourself how to be a silversmith. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that I saw also was that um, your family would go to these Native American art shows. Mm-hmm. Um, how old were you? Do you remember when you went to your first one? I Well, they, I was going since I was a baby. Okay. But <laughs> my first memory of going to one of the art shows was um, at most of the Native American art shows because they were George art shows. So you had to have certification mm-hmm. like uh, your CIB, which is your certification of Indian blood. Okay. And then you would have jurors there that would judge your work. So they oh, got wow. the best of the best in these shows. And so it was really cool because, like, they taught people, too, so they educated people. So they would have these little booths. And my first memory was, like, me as a little kid sitting in one of the kid booths learning how to do one of the weaving projects. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting there by myself, just, like, (laughs) doing my own weave. And it's, like, nobody else. But that was, like, one of my first memories of being at the show. And I just loved watching – I just loved walking around and watching everyone just Mm -hmm. because you meet so many people from different tribes across the nations, different types of artwork. Hmm. And it was so incredible. It was, like, it opened my mind to the diversity among our own community. Wow. And so going back to that, you you were saying there were natives coming from all over the country. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's what brought a lot of these uh, people together was these art shows. So there's like a couple big ones. The Herd Museum is one. Santa Fe Indian Market. um, Idol Joe uh, George in... uh, in the Midwest. So those are like the big three. Okay. And so we would always go to the herd because it was in Phoenix and okay. it was like so close. How many people? Um, it depends every year. Like I think now they have 400 that get okay. into the show, but they've increased it at times. Mm-hmm. So they've gone up and down. It depends on the yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. And so do you remember maybe like what were some of your creative interests growing up? Were you you were also making jewelry? Yep. Yes. <laughs> uh, were you also drawing and sketching too? Oh yeah. My family really pushed us to be very creative. So one of the things my family had us do with all of my siblings was uh, they always told us to pick one type of handcrafted uh, technique and hmm. learn that. And at least learn one type of thing so that if any, uh, if we go anywhere in the world or do whatever we want, we can always fall back on that. Yes. But also, like, it helps teach you more about your culture. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was, like, always wanting to learn. So I started off drawing. And then I went into beading. So beading, like, little <laughs> things my family would sell. And I was like, okay, this is fun. Yeah. So I just kept, like, learning more and more. And then eventually I learned how to weave from my great-grandmother, which was like super amazing, especially now that she's passed. Mm. And then silversmith and copper came later when I got older, mm-hmm. uh, just because you have to use a settling torch and, you know, it's kind of more dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> kind of built my way up. So yeah. painting was like the one thing I took on on my own, which okay. I was a self-taught painter as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this and see how it goes. Wow. And then from there, that's how I got into the herd was like with my paintings because they were so bold and different. They mm-hmm. were like, I grew up really looking into like Andy Warhol and Shepard yep. Fairy as mm-hmm. like influences. So okay. I did that type of style with like 
uh, traditional Native people from like the 1800s. That's such an interesting crossover. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so obviously you had a strong passion, a strong creative passion uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. But you were also in the sport and you loved basketball. Yep. <laughs> we call it res ball res where ball. we're from. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yep. I love it. So, yep, basketball so, was my passion. <laughs> tell me, were you were you playing in tournaments? And, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, so I used to play in JB, City League, um, AAU. We actually had our own Native American basketball team. Mm-hmm. So we would play in Native tournaments all the time. Okay. And so that's where we would travel all across like the Navajo Nation, going to tournaments, and they would be co-ed. So me and my cousins would all be together just traveling, hanging mm-hmm. out. It was so much fun because like that was the way where we we met other people across the res because I mean everyone is so disconnected in different ways like with me I grew up in a not in the community aspect mm-hmm. I grew up in the rural area where my closest neighbor is like 10 miles away wow so I never interacted with a lot yeah. of kids or anything I was by myself <laughs> yeah. so like when we would go to these tournaments tournaments on the res in the bigger like res cities mm-hmm. it was more like we finally got to mingle and like get to know other kids so it was super fun but yeah no basketball I played since I was a kid yeah. and I mean played traveling which was really fun mm-hmm. played in high school and then you know it's always been something that's been a part of my life yeah <laughs> so would you say you got a nice jump shot or you 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 pretty I good at dribbling ball handler okay. i was always point guard it's kind of funny because like as a kid i grew up playing post mm-hmm. it's hard to believe now that i'm five feet <laughs> <laughs> but like as a kid i would play post just because i was very strong mm-hmm. and i there was one tournament we played in phoenix and there was this girl who was like so much taller than me and she's like throw me the ball i jumped up grabbed it and then i flipped her over my back oh wow because i was just like so strong <laughs> and so i was like wow this is great but then eventually you know i just got too short compared to people <laughs> so, so you I weren't to playing go, post anymore you know go play point guard now i'm yeah. like it's fine i can dribble <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i read in it was maybe 2008 2009 uh you were 14 playing in the native american basketball tournament mm-hmm. in phoenix and this is the first time you saw n7 logo yep what's the n7 logo and what did that mean to you So the N7 logo, at the time as a kid, I had no idea what it was. And so all I recognized was the medicine wheel. So we, uh, most uh, native tribes have a medicine wheel. My tribe doesn't, but I still recognize it because it's the same values. So the medicine wheel is a sacred symbol that uh, represents all the four worlds, just like our philosophy of life. And so I saw this uh, in the medicine wheel with an N7 and a swoosh. So I was like, wait, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, this is native, but like, why is Nike and natives together? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we asked the person who had the bag, we're like, oh, what is this? What is this uh, symbol that you have? And then they start telling us more about N7 and how it was basically the Native American branch of Nike. The um, collection helps native kids and mm-hmm. like, they're doing so much resources into the community. And she was like, oh yeah, you should look more into it. So I did. And then I was like, oh, I'm gonna work there one day. I'm like, so since wow. then I made it my goal to work in seven wow. <laughs> since that tournament that tournament yeah jeez um and so continuing on that path though as you're working towards this goal you got this goal in the back yep. of your mind right and so it's 2013 um and you're 18 and yep. at this point you're actually accepted into the herd museum right mm-hmm. which is a prestigious uh native american art show yep um you got in through your painting you were saying yeah yeah what did that mean to you and your family that meant a lot just because my family always uh they got in in the previous year, so they always did it, and like they would always show my stuff. So for this time, you know, me applying on my own as an independent artist, you know, doing the whole booth fee and everything, it was so much more 
Like, I felt like I accomplished so much because and my family was so proud of me, too, because they're like, you did it on your own and like you didn't need anyone's help. And then I'm like, I just need help paying for the booth fee. <laughs> it's like, this is expensive. But they were so happy. And I was just like, wow, this is something I could definitely do. Like, people want to support me. Yeah. I'm doing something different. Wow. <laughs> so the, coming off of that, did you think you wanted to... I know you had mentioned the Nike thing, but did you, were you also thinking maybe art? I thought art, yeah. I was the type of person that grew up doing a lot of multiple things at the same time. Like I was always juggling stuff like basketball, art, whatever (laughs) business. And so for me, I was like, yeah, I love art. My family was like, they said you can always get a career in it, Mm -hmm. which is always not the typical answer that you hear from parents. (laughs) But with a family that grew up in design, they're like, of course, you can totally make this a thing. So they they told me, they're like, go to school, do your thing. And then you can always fall back on this. Like we they told us as kids. Okay. So that was kind of the... the it was an option. Yeah. It was out there, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, and so you ended up going to University of Oregon, right? Yep. I believe that was 2013 uh, to 2017. Mm-hmm. And you decided to major in industrial and product design. Yes. Why that major? So when I first uh, got in, so I only applied to one college, which was okay. U of O. Okay. And it was because my older brother went. And then when I toured it, I was like, this is great. Love it. This is where I'm Nike going. Nike was created here. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> so like from freshman year of high school, I was like, I already know what school I'm going to. Did early admission, got in like my senior year really yeah. fast. So I was like, I'm good. <laughs> and then um, literally the day of orientation, I, I didn't have a major declared or anything. Hmm. I was thinking about architecture at first, but... Um, walked into the advisor studio or area, and then I asked him, I was like, what major do I have to choose to design for Nike? Wow. And then he was like, oh, you should do product design. I was like, okay, I'm going to apply to that next year. <laughs> so I applied and then ended up being one of the people who got in that year and then ended up being one of the first Native people to go through the program. Wow. And so <laughs> at this point, you had moved from Flagstaff, from the mm-hmm. Res, and then you had moved into Oregon. Yeah, right? into Eugene, into which Eugene. was definitely different. Definitely different. <laughs> Um, how was your adjustment, right? Was your was your brother still in school? Yeah, he was still time? in school, but okay. we definitely had our own different lives. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we lived our own different <laughs> lives. But it was definitely hard at first just because a lot of people made comments because they didn't mm. actually believe I was Native. Mm. They couldn't believe that they're a real Native person. Yep. And then, you know, they had like stereotypes. I think one of the most hurtful things I heard the first week of school was, oh, you people still exist? I thought you guys went extinct. And that like broke my heart. I was just like, what? Wow. It was really, really hard. And so it was definitely cultural shocking mm-hmm. growing up in Arizona where non-natives and natives like grew up together and like non-natives are aware of the native community, even to the point where the public schools accommodate to native culture hmm. in classrooms. Right. And so to go to from a very, you know, more inclusive area to somewhere where I'm very, I'm definitely isolated. Yes. I'm by myself. Yes. It was definitely really hard because I mean, people questioned my identity they looked mm-hmm. me up on the internet to see if I was really telling the truth oh, wow. and it was just it was just so different it's and a lot to go through yeah it was definitely hard at first but I my family always said because I I started crying at times and mm-hmm. I was like I want to go home and they're like uh no you're not coming home because mm-hmm. you need to face this to get stronger and yes. then you'll be better and you'll be fine you yeah. can get through this <laughs> right because it is the, that is the real world unfortunately yeah. we do have some of those things that we do encounter um How did you navigate that? Were you able to find some friends um, that you were able to get close with? um, Yeah, so I actually, uh, I 
So I went to the NASU, which is the Native American Student Union. Okay. And so I started getting involved with the Longhouse. And so for the first two years of college, I was kind of just trying to figure out my way. I was exploring. I joined a sorority. You know, I was trying to get the experience of college because yeah. I was the first gen. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> and so I think NASU was like the biggest thing was like getting involved with my Native American advisor and meeting more natives in because I wasn't a Native American studies major just because okay. none of the classes fit in my schedules yeah. for my major. So it was kind of difficult mm -hmm. to even meet more natives. Wow. But I think from there, I um, started getting involved with Youth Movement, which is um, an, a nonprofit that uh, gets native kids out and play. And so all of us college students come out and just like basically mentor these kids for a field day. And so that helped me reach out to more people. And then just, yeah, NASU was like the biggest thing. I finally got to interact. I ended up becoming one of the um, co-directors for hmm. my senior year, which was really fun and helping them with powwows and stuff. Cause I'm not familiar with powwows cause my tribe doesn't do powwow. Okay. So I was like learning so much more about the other, like the other parts of our native communities yeah. too, that I didn't know. <laughs> so <laughs> That's cool. just learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back in just a moment, Tracy recalls how being involved in the native American student union at the university of Oregon led to her meeting Sam McCracken, founder of the N7 brand at Nike. Stay with us. I'm Bima, and you're listening to Claim of Stories. Hey, everyone. Support for Claim of Stories comes from Portland State University's Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate. Interested in claiming a career at companies like Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, or Keen? They can help by providing you with hands-on experience and connections to industry insiders. Visit pdx.edu and search Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. At this point in the story, Tracy is starting to find her place as a student at the University of Oregon, and she had a chance to meet Sam McCracken, founder of the N7 brand at Nike. But she was super nervous about approaching him. With NASU, with youth movement, um, hmm. Jesse Schwartz was one of the big people who put it on. He created it. And every year they put it on. So I, I was there every year hmm. helping out since I got to U of O. Okay. And I ended up meeting Sam McCracken there, which was amazing because as a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, is, how coincidental <laughs> is this that like I've been wanting to work for N7 my whole life and the general manager of N7 yeah. speaks at the community service thing that I work at. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I have to talk to him. <laughs> so I remember that was the year I hurt my knee. And so I had a knee injury, so I couldn't participate and play. Uh -huh. And so I was sitting on the side and I was talking to this elder from one of the Warm Springs communities. And he was, I, he, I was just telling him basically my dream mm -hmm. and what I wanted to do in life and like what my goal was. And then he knew Sam too. So he was <laughs> like, oh, you should talk to Sam and tell him your dreams. Yeah. I was like, so scared and nervous as a little kid. Like, are you sure I should? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, no, just go over there. I'll help you. So he like helped me and like got me connected with like the people who were representing Sam, you know, all the comms people. And then mm -hmm. I ended up getting to be able to talk to him. And I was yeah. like, hey, nice to meet you. I want to design for N7. What do I have to do? And he's like, how old are you? What year are you? And I'm like, freshman, sophomore, you know, all those yeah. juniors. Yeah. He's like, come back when you're older so you can do the internship. And I'll oh, talk wow. to you about the internship. So, so how like, long between then and <laughs> Every when year I saw him, I always made sure I said hi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, every year I'm going to make sure you know me. I'm like, you, know you remember me, me right? Mm. <laughs> see, that's a gem right there. You were yep. like, every time I see you, I'm going to... Make sure you remember who I am and yeah. what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, because I was like, I want this so badly. And my family growing up, they always said, you have to like, you have to speak on your own. You mm. have to talk for yourself. Mm -hmm. No one's going to talk for you. Mm. You're going to miss out on things you if you don't talk for yourself. So yes. I was always like, okay, I have to talk for myself at this point. Myself. I just have to suck it up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Get over my nerves. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so uh, you did end up landing, you did end up landing a internship at yes, Nike. I did. And it was <laughs> in N7. Yep. 
Wow. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I When I got the call from Sam that I got it, I was like crying and then I went to class and I cried some more. <laughs> but it was incredible, yes. Did you uh, did you call your parents? Oh yeah, I was just like, um, um, I'm like, who, what do I do first? Do I go to class because I'm late or do I call my family? I'm like, both on the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what was the day-to-day like in that internship? Oh, it was so incredible. I mean, Sam is so... He's so incredible. Like he's his internship is so I think meaningful, mm-hmm. and he helps you prepare for like roles. So Sam um, had mentors for me in design because Sam's not familiar with design. Okay. So he gave me designers that have worked on N7 product in the past, as de- like one from Jordan, mm-hmm. one from Sportswear, and another who was like from my own community. Yeah. And so um, Carson Brown was one of my mentors, which was amazing because he's like Navajo too. So I was like, what? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And so Libby Smith was one of my mentors too and Izzy. So I'm like, these guys were so great getting their perspective. Mm-hmm. And they were from different parts of their, I mean, they were different people. They yeah. didn't come from my community, came from different mm-hmm. aspects of life. So I got to know their journeys too of getting mm-hmm. to Nike too. Mm-hmm. And so one thing Sam always had me do was like, uh, was network. He mm-hmm. was like, I want you to meet with so-and-so, this person, this person, this person. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> he was like, you're going to have to do this and you that. And, do it. and I followed him everywhere. He took me to all his meetings. So That's I got to meet great. people. So he really looked out for me. Wow. And so from a, a design side, uh, what were some of the things that you learned in an internship that you hadn't uh, oh quite gosh. received exposure to just yet? Well, I learned how to do schematics <laughs> from the start. <laughs> so that was interesting. But yeah, no, it was incredible because I got to work with Taboo from okay. Black Eyed Peas. Yes. He's the homie. He's my big bro. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Taboo was great because he called me almost every day when we met to work on the collection. Wow. And I loved it because like I love when people are more involved because they're involved, yeah. committed. Yeah, and he, convicted. he was passionate about mm-hmm. it. And so we talked on the phone. I would send him like designs and be like, hey, what do you think of this? He would let me know like, hey, I like this. I like that. I don't like this. Maybe mm-hmm. change this. And I'd be like, okay, sounds good. Yeah. And it was constantly like, you know, trial and error, like getting familiar with it. And it was really nice because Taboo was so patient with me, mm. especially because I was so nervous to meet him. It was the first time I ever <laughs> met like a celebrity like that. And I mean, it was incredible because yeah. I looked up to him growing up. I mean, ever since I saw him wear his squash blossom in his music video, I was like, He's native. Hmm. And then looked him up and I was like, oh my gosh, he's native. He's and native. me and my aunt were so obsessed with <laughs> yeah. it. Because we're like, someone on the native community is literally on the world stage tour. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, he just is doing incredible things. Wow. That's, that's yeah. so incredible to have kind of like an, an icon like yeah. that that you can resonate with. Yeah. And so with that, I mean, he he's very passionate about N7 too. And he, I mean, his perspective was so great. I mean, mm. I'm very thankful that I got to work with him as like my first project. Yes. yes. Uh, so what was one of the, I mean, one of the pieces in that collection that you, you were really proud of? I would say our footwear pieces, just because we wanted to uh, represent beadwork, but obviously we can't um, use actual beads just because of laws that protect native people. And of course we want to look out for our own community. Mm-hmm. So we created these, uh, we did three different techniques uh, to try to represent beadwork. So we did like embroidery work and we did wovens and then we did 3D printing that uh, made this like little they're almost like little pieces that come out that feel like beads and so in bead shapes and so it was like giving a texture one that looks like it and then one that is just like more color based Mm -hmm. so we were exploring like how to uh, you know represent beads in a different way than actually using beads so it was pretty cool to like learn that process what model was that? Oh, there's so many. So there's an AJ1. Okay. There was a Why Not. I can't remember which one, what it's called. Oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the worst at remembering names. I'm like, I look at him and be like, yep, I remember. And then what was the last one? I 
can't remember the last no one. Worries, it was no worries. So long ago. It was two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a but, we, but there was a Jordan one in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. That one was like one of my favorites. Yeah. And and what year is it? This was 2018. Okay. Yes. Holiday 2018. Wow. So you come off of this. You had worked on that in 2017 and mm-hmm. it came out later. Um, now at the end of this internship. Did you just go straight into Nike? Was there an opportunity to have a full-time job? Didn't. No. (laughs) No, I didn't get a job offer afterwards, which it broke my heart because Mm. I was like, I was this close from getting my dream. Yeah. But I ended up having to move back home for six months, which Mm. is like fine. I definitely was very heartbroken and like sad just because I was so close. I did so much. I mean, I even released, you know, made a collection that's going to be released. But uh, yeah, I went back home. um, I actually got a job for on the other side of N7. Mm. And so I worked for the Pathways program um, through our NACO association in Flagstaff. Okay. And um, basically Pathways is an, a program that, um, an after-school program for Native kids in the Flagstaff area. Mm-hmm. And so basically I became a cultural teacher for them. Okay. And so I was teaching them more about their culture, their language, helping them with their um, homework because we have an immersion school that teaches okay. Navajo and Hopi in our oh. um, community. Yeah. So I would help them with their homework. And That's so I was nice. just kind of like one of their mentors, but also their teachers. So I would just hang out with them, story <laughs> tell, do activities. I brought in more like arts and crafts stuff. Yes. And so it was really cool to see on the other side of N7 a program that uses the money from N7 uses, to help the kids. Right. So now you got experience on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> so seeing the both sides of like how the grant actually helps our community and mm-hmm. seeing where you know where the products and the base the base of it too yeah so it was incredible so you're in this new role um and what are you thinking about from the nike side of things are you are you still thinking hey i want to pursue this thing or i'm just going to be a cultural leader well, I kept in contact with my mentors and Sam the whole time after my internship. And so they were checking on me and seeing, mm-hmm. and they were looking out for me too, trying to find like jobs. They were like, my mentor Livy literally looked out for me so much. <laughs> she was like sending me like job offerings and she's like, try to apply to this one, apply to that one. And she was so sweet. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you for helping it's me. Good and to have people looking out. Yeah. And so Sam and I would talk off and on too, because I told him what I was doing yep. and he was, yep. uh, you know, he was one of my references mm-hmm. <laughs> for my job. Mm-hmm. So he got the call. Yep. But um, it was it was great. But like Sam, I mean, Sam came through eventually with a contracted job. Okay. So I got offered a contracted job for a month to do okay. work on a collection. Yeah. And what were you doing? Graphics or? Graphics, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so you're doing this off and on. And then between then and find an opportunity, how long was that period? Oh, it was definitely like months. It was definitely like I the next year after my intern okay. in, internship was. Yeah. So about like January or February. So it was about like five months. And then yeah. when I got the contracted job, that was pretty much like what paved the way for me to get my right. full-time job. <laughs> so you finally get a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You come into N7 yep. as a designer. How did that feel? It was unreal because um, so the transition... I actually quit my job and I was eventually just going to move up to Portland and I, because you're going to make it happen. <laughs> I was just like, I'll find whatever job I have. If it's a serving, whatever I've done serving for five years, I can do it again. Yeah. But I was like, I'm dropping what I'm doing. I, Cause there was no design jobs in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Like I could not find anything. Wow. And so I actually thought about going back to school and getting my master's at ASU. Hmm. Cause I was like, I don't, there's nothing here for me. Yeah. And so the next option was like, you know what? I'm just going to drop what I'm doing, move out to Oregon and just like, you know, be there in case they need me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm visually there. But like, <laughs> I got the call when I was in San Diego with my friends, like hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to move that following week. So I was like, I got the call and Sam was like, you got a job. And I was like, what? what I was like mean? in my car. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, 
you, we got you a job. You're, you're gonna hear from like so-and-so soon. So just wanted to let you know and congratulate you. You just got a full-time job. And I was like crying in the car. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? And I was just like thankful. Cause I was like, I was so nervous. Cause I don't know how I was going to pay for rent. You were <laughs> I was like, like, but I was so committed. Yeah. You, you already committed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I would make it happen. And so it just like fell in place. That's amazing. We don't hear stories like that. <laughs> no, <often. laughs> it was crazy. Just even going through it. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently, it, it, it definitely worked out for you yeah. uh, because in November 2019, uh, N7 celebrated 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And you were part of creating this really amazing collection. Can you share a little bit about uh, what was so special about this project? So this uh, November, we released um, the N7 collection with Pendleton. So we collaborated with Pendleton. And so the whole story along this collection, I wanted to pay tribute to the matriarch part of our community which is like our Navajo rug weavers. Mm -hmm. And just since I researched the history of um, Pendleton, learned their back history about how they learned um, a lot of their weaving techniques from uh, tribes, mm. from like they spent six months in the Southwest with the Zuni, Navajos, and Hopis. Mm. And so being one of the tribes that they worked with, I was like, and you know, having a great grandmother that grew up rug weaving her whole life to support her family. She taught me how to when I was a kid. I was like, I wanted to dedicate this to her because she mm. had such a big influence on me growing up and right. she was my tie to my culture. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you look at it too, like in the N7, um, well, mission statement, we talk about generations, seven generations. Mm -hmm. She was the three generations before me. And so it just like, it just seemed like it made more sense. So mm -hmm. I wanted to dedicate it to the matriarchs and just pay tribute to all our rug weavers who are influencing us. And they might not know that they're influencing us and, you know, and create and creating opportunities for us in yeah. our lives and right. so I just wanted to dedicate it to them and so yeah. it's kind of emotional talking about yeah. it right now because I mean I use my great-grandmother's favorite weave techniques and just like her favorite designs that she used to do in her rugs and then I even like looked at the collection and made sure all the colors were um, actually represented naturally dyed wool mm. from the local plants of our area so I got super into detail yeah, about the collection very, that's <laughs> a very thoughtful collection yeah because she's the one who taught me how to design too I mean as a kid, she always said that everything has a purpose and meaning mm -hmm. that you're storytelling when you design. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter if it's the color, shape, form, whatever it is, has a story of why it's in there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what I was like, that's how I design. It's like uh, colors have a story, the graphics have a story, the mm -hmm. materials have a story to it. Tracy, that's fascinating. <laughs> that truly is fascinating. And I'm you. sure, I'm sure um, that goes a long way uh, with a lot of people in that community. Uh, speaking of, how do you feel... Um, what did you feel was the impact of this collection um, back to the Native community? I felt like people felt represented. I might get emotional at this part just because I felt like kids finally felt like they could see themselves in apparel and clothing and rep themselves mm -hmm. on the outside more, mm -hmm. not in just like traditional clothing, but in like actual modern wear clothing. And so, I mean, it was just so incredible because, I mean, even just going back home the, over the holidays with my family and just going out to the res and see my family – the kids are just, I mean, my family's like, oh, we have a celebrity in our family. And I'm like, I'm not a celebrity. I'm just doing something I love. And yeah. I mean, I have kids reaching out to me, asking me how they can do the same thing. Where can they go for design? Is U of O a good school? I mean, since I went to U of O, we had two other Native kids who've gone through the program now. That's incredible. And they've reached out to me and I've like yeah. talked to them. So and like given them advice. <laughs> I just like, I just want more kids to sh see that design is a path that you can take, especially in our community where we're so involved with handcrafted feels mm -hmm. and just handcrafted goods and designing like we're yes. really amazing artists but yet we don't always go on that path because we don't think there's options in there mm -hmm. like realistic options right. but there is yeah 
it's it, it's more about seeing those opportunities and really knowing that you too you could yeah. definitely do that yeah um and then speaking to that point i think one of the most important parts about getting in the industry is networking mm-hmm. uh, you alluded to that earlier uh what advice do you have for our listeners who are trying to meet professionals in this industry I would say get out of your comfort zone. I mean, for me, I grew up as a shy person to the point where if someone looked at me in the face, I would turn red and look away. So (laughs) to get here has taken a lot. But I mean, yeah, you might be nervous, but talk to people. Tell people your story. Talk. I mean, I felt like a lot of opportunities I got was because I told people who I was. I was very transparent with what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And I was always telling people, I'm like, yeah, I want to do this, but I don't know where to go or how to do that. And then they would give me advice. Hmm. I think just being so much more open is a good way. And then also putting yourself in situations that make you feel uncomfortable, (laughs) I think is the biggest thing. And there's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable. (laughs) A lot of people like hate it. But I mean, I've always been uncomfortable everywhere I've gone as a native person. So it's fine. You'll be okay. (laughs) But I'm just saying like in those uncomfortable parts of places that you're at you learn so much more about yourself you know what things that you need to work on things that you're strong at and that's the best part about being uncomfortable that was tracy jackson she's the n7 lead graphic designer at nike in portland oregon and has been at the company since 2018 thanks so much for listening to the show this week find out more about tracy and get access to all of our episodes on our website at claimastories.com and while you're there please give us a review if you'd like to connect, follow us on Instagram at Claim of Stories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo and Adrian Anaya with music composed by VDOT of The Creative State. Thanks also to Oilang Maui and Caitlin Williams. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claim of Stories. <laughs>